So, hey everyone, welcome back to another season of Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne. I'm Kim. And I'm Joanne. And today we have a very interesting guest. I feel like I say that about all our guests, but this one is, she's she's really interesting. She is a... This is interesting. Yeah, she's a physio doula. So before I get into exactly what that is, why not go ahead and go to the the sores. So Tasha, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey. What is a physio doula and why did you decide to become one? Hey guys. So um, physio doula really just represents kind of fusing and merging both of my um, two professions. So as a doula and a physical therapist. So I literally just suck the names together. Um, And so that's why it's addressed that way. Um, But lots of doulas are clinicians as well. So you'll find nurses that are doulas sometimes, mental health providers, chiropractors, um, other clinicians also do doula work. So it's pretty cool. And it's nice when you can use um, one profession to inform the other and kind of enhance what you can provide for clients. Um, I've been at physical therapist for 10 years now. And I've been a doula for a little bit over Mm -hmm. four years. And the way that I got into doula work is really from my own journey, getting pregnant and looking for my birth team and figuring out who I wanted to support Mm me. Um, I didn't have the Mm -hmm. easiest time finding someone that looked like me. And I knew that 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 was important to me. Mm. And so it made me think, I know I'm pregnant, but I think I'm going to get into this. And I did my training while I was pregnant in my third trimester. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So I just thought to myself, I won't be able to support anybody right away because I'm about to give birth in like eight weeks. But I know that, you know, I'll be somebody that can be there for the next person. Um, And then also Mm -hmm. just understanding what I do about the grim statistics that we're all familiar with as far as black women and women of color um, giving birth and just lived experience as well. And and things are not, um, things don't look awesome in that respect. And I wanted to be somebody who could also advocate and also just, you know, remind people of their power. You know, we're not empowering them, but we're reminding Mm -hmm. them of the power that they already have and just making sure that Mm -hmm that they come out thriving, that they're alive, that they're, you know, can have a joyful postpartum, Mm -hmm, that they can have mm -hmm. the birth that they envision and desire. And so that's Mm kind of what brought me into this. Um, Yeah, I could, I could go on and on, but that's a snapshot. (laughs) That is quite interesting. I mean, um, I'm sure people have heard of doulas before and they're getting more popular, especially with the internet. We have more connections into learning new things. And um, everyone out there Mm -hmm. should already know that I've had um, a newborn. I have a baby now, another one, not now. Like that's my first, fifth. we already know this. Um, So this may be the one time that I really, really looked into alternative forms of labor and delivery because we're still in a pandemic. Um, There are shortages in the hospitals. I didn't want exposure to COVID. Like there were so many things in my decision as to what am I going to do? Are we really going to do the hospital thing? Are we going to do at home birth, have doula, have midwives? What are we going to do? So can you go into the difference for us of what a doula normally does um, and how it differs from what you do, which is being uh, a physio doula? So it's honestly, we 
doulas are, are trained and people are trained differently and some people are not trained um, through a company or an organization, which is another story for another day because there's a lot of gatekeeping with that that I don't agree with um, that keeps like a lot of people of color out of being a doula. So um, not a huge fan of that, but it's not um, calling myself a physio doula, like I said, is just really merging the two worlds and it's not a way to like elevate myself over any other any other doulas, but it's really just me combining what I know as a physical mm -hmm. therapist and a pelvic physical therapist and bringing it into the birth room and giving my clients that extra information, all the years of anatomy and physiology and studying movement that I do as a PT and bringing that into birth because it kind of just mm -hmm. seamlessly goes together and makes so much sense, right? When I've been studying movement and I know what the body does and the best ways to make the body work for us in labor um, and things like that. So it's really just um, a way to kind of enhance that with my extra, with my extra training and my extra skills, but I don't want to ever come off as if like, I'm, you know, making a difference between me and other, me and other doulas. I don't want to promote yeah. So that's a term, that's a term that you've decided to call yourself. Yeah. It's not like a yeah. Standard it's term just, it's just, I'm like, oh, that okay, sounds really you. cool because I'm a physio and I'm a doula. Cause <laughs> in other countries, they call you physiotherapist instead of physical therapist language wise. So it just worked and went together, right, but yeah, right. it's not like this standard term or anything like that. I was just like, oh, that sounds cool. Uh, <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah, but <laughs> again, lots of other clinicians are doulas and they bring in the work that they do nurses and, you know, like I said, mental health therapists, and they can, they can really add like just an extra little pizzazz to their doula work and, and the support that they provide spiritually, emotionally, physically, um, with, with whatever profession that they're coming from, they can add just that to it. But, um, all of us are doing right. this life-changing work and it is amazing and everybody is needed and everybody brings something different, even if it's just your experience, you know, in life and going through life. And, um, mm -hmm. and so I want to make sure everybody so can you explain what a doula does for those who don't know out there? Yes, I can. So a doula provides, like I said, physical, emotional, educational, spiritual support. They're there. They're your birth companion. They're like your, your fairy godmother, you know, I, um, in a wedding and you, when you have a wedding planner and that wedding, and we're not there to plan the birth, but I say that in the sense <laughs> yeah. of like the wedding planner is like the person you didn't know you needed, but it was like, Oh my God, just having their support and having their guidance. And, you know, I think of it a little bit like that when people are kind of like, how do you explain? And so, you know, I'm there to help you mm -hmm. talk through your birth vision. What do you want for your birth? Where do you want to be? How do you want to feel? Who do you want there with you? Um, helping you through maybe deciding location. Do you want to be mm -hmm. at home? Do you want to be in the hospital? Do you want to be at a birth center? Do you want family there? Do you want just you and your partner? Do you want other, if you have other kids, would you want them there? You know, do you like quiet? Do you like you know, calm and darkness? Do you want music? Do you want, you know, what do you want? And so mm. just creating, helping them to create and design that experience for them and then giving them lots of tools and education as far as um, working around whatever location they would be in. So mm -hmm. as a physical therapist that's worked in the hospital for years, I know a lot about that system. So, you know, being advocating and as well as letting them know, like mm -hmm. kind of, 
how to work that system and kind of making sure that that their needs are addressed and mm-hmm. you know because you're very vulnerable and when we never want to talk over or talk for our clients but when you're mm-hmm. in the most vulnerable state of your life you sometimes need a reminder of hey this is what you maybe wanted to do or we talk you know talking with the partner hey we talked about you know and you kind of because you're just like this is so different this has ever, or even if this has happened before, this birth is different, mm-hmm. right? This could be your fifth kid. Every birth and every experience is different. So um, just being there to just, hey, you know, let's talk through and, and let's, um, you know, let's take a moment or sometimes um, people can feel rushed, right? To make a decision because a doctor may come in and say, well, we have, we're going to do this now. And actually we're going to take a moment we're going to pause, you know? And so mm-hmm. just, um, just being there with that person with whatever they need, rubbing their back or giving, you know, making sure they have water and snacks and just cheering them on. And sometimes being very hands-on and then a lot of times being hands-off and just letting them go through their process, right? Cause we're not there to make something mm-hmm. happen or force anything. Um, so it's whatever they need at the time. So it's a right. lot of anticipating so that you're not, you know, projecting. So it's a dance. It's a very artful um, thing. Right. <laughs> you I know? mean, it's, it's something that's, I guess, necessary, especially the, if you know your person, whomever, um, if you, if you're having a baby with a partner, cause not everyone has a baby with a partner now. Right. Um, if you're having a baby with a partner, you know, you gotta know who your partner is. Like I have to, um, coach my husband before we go into the room like if they say this do this in the or this don't do this kind of thing um I don't even always sleep because I'm like shoot I'm gonna wake up without an organ because he's just gonna be like okay (laughs) (laughs) that is crazy so Tasha I I don't have any kids so the fact that you're mentioning all of this you know that you are an advocate as a physio doula I think that is really imperative. So I wanted to tap in a bit because I know you spoke about you know basically you are a woman's fairy godmother you're rubbing their back you're you know discussing things with them that they may not have even foreseen in the birthing process because we know statistically Um, People of color, black people, they have very poor uh, maternity and poor birth outcomes. So I just wanted to ask you a little bit as a physical therapist, 10 years um, of being in that profession, I was looking on Instagram the other day. And all of a sudden, something popped up, which made me think of you. And it was saying it was comparing and contrasting the way that a woman gives birth, like traditionally in a hospital setting, which you say that, you know, you're aware of what goes on in, in that that arena. So it would, so typically a woman may lay down on their back, but it was saying that it may be better for them to sit up during their labor. So from a physical Mm -hmm. therapist standpoint and just knowing body mechanics and also being a doula, um, you know, what is your thought on that? Because I'm, I'm just assuming that a woman will innately just know like, okay, this is the best position for me. But when we look at the TV shows and pictures that we see, they're always on their back. And I've even um, had friends tell me that the nurse was like, no, you can't get up. You know, you got to stay on your back when they want to go on all all fours. So like, what is what is your whole entire uh, take on that being a physical therapist and also a doula? The best positions as far as when you look at um, 
the research when it talks about like the least likelihood of tearing, um, being on all fours and being on your side shows the yes, but being upright is amazing as well. It's just that unless you're supported upright, either by a person or a birthing mm -hmm. stool or something like that, sometimes people can tend to use too much of the muscles that they need to be relaxing if they're holding their own selves up. Um, so if you have someone or something to support you, mm -hmm. um, upright is amazing. But what you said is key and that is we know what to do, right? So something that I kind of touched on earlier too is you're, you're there and you, and you may suggest stuff and you may ask, you know, and go back and forth, but really the person in the moment, the baby and the mama are talking to each other, right. In a sense. And, and it, you know what you need to do and you may wiggle or move or throw one leg up or do something that looks strange to others. And it's because your body is telling you what you need to do. So Whatever that looks like when the time comes is truly what you should follow. But absolutely, if you're like, I'm not sure, what do you guys think? Then yeah, we have suggestions galore. And those are the, those three are the ones that I start with. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I love to be like, follow your senses and like, and see what that looks like. Mm -hmm. So in your experience, like, have you ever had a, cause you know, that friend of mine, it was like, the nurse was like, no, you know, you got to stay on your back. It's safest, mm -hmm. blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. Have you ever had an experience where you had to basically, I wouldn't say empower because you used the term earlier. You don't empower people. You let them realize that they have power. Um, basically like told like a healthcare provider, like, you know, let, let the mom, let the dad make the decision that they're going to make to see, you know, what is the best outcome for them in regards to their birthing position. Have you had those run-ins? Because the reason why I say this is because as a person that hasn't had children, I'm afraid to go to hospitals. I'm just like, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Like, are these people going to let me rip? Are these people going to let me lose copious amounts of blood? Are these people going to pay attention to my blood pressure? Like, I'm I'm just really apprehensive. Yes, I have seen that a lot. Um, definitely when they suggest, oh, we need to get you on your back, or they say, we'll let you labor and do whatever you want. But when it's time to push, you get on your back. That's when I'm like, listen, this is not what she's, he, she or he has communicated that they want to do. Um, she would like to try whatever. Now there's times when someone's like, I'm tired and I do want to try that. And there's ways that we know how to use different items and towels and, and things to prop up and um, make sure that their sacrum is still able to move because when you block the, the motion of the sacrum by laying someone completely flat on their back, that's when you're more likely to have those tears. And so mm -hmm. there's ways that I can adjust that for them. But if they're not desiring to be on their back, I'm absolutely like, hey, this is not what's happening. You are not forcing any, mm -hmm. because that's a form mm -hmm. of obstetric violence. Ooh, I like ooh, that term, obstetric violence. I haven't heard of that term. Forcing me in a position that I don't want to be in because it's convenient for you. Because if you think about it, if I'm ooh. on my back and my feet are up, it's easy mm -hmm. for them. They can sit on their stool and uh -huh. roll up and deliver the baby, yeah. right? And so that's yeah, right. convenience for them. I want to be, if I want to be on all fours, like you can get up and you can, I'm the one pushing out the baby. Like you get up and move. You still have access mm -hmm. to where the baby's coming out. You don't need me to be in that position. It's just what 
Mm-hmm. They probably learn a lot in school and it's what they've been trained to do, but it's not, right. it's not necessary. They can get up right. and they can, like I said, people can have one leg thrown up. They can be on the side, they can be on right. a stool and the provider needs to adapt to that. If there's no danger, then let me move. And even with an epidural, there's things that we can do um, to help position them where they're not on their back. And being some people being on their back is triggering for them. And so they may not even like know all the facts about, you know, um, protecting the pelvic floor and things like that, but they're just like this position, like, I don't like it. And that's, and that's, we don't need Mm -hmm. a reason. If I don't want to be there, I don't have to be there. So for sure. Like I said, I don't talk over or for people, but I will jump in and say, Mm -hmm. you will not force, you know, Girl, I'm thinking I may need to fly you out to Florida when I'm ready. <laughs> I will come. I'll do it. <laughs> I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Because honestly, like, I just love the fact that, you know, you communicate in a clear manner. Because, you know, I can just imagine, and you and Joanne can speak to this, when you're having a baby, there's so many physiological and mental things that are going on in your mind that you may not be able to effectively communicate with the healthcare staff or your healthcare provider, um, your needs. So I'm, I'm just, I'm loving this whole, whole physio doula thing. I'm loving it. And and I will add that we talk about this all the time on the podcast, um, Kim, on people interviewing and knowing who Mm -hmm. you're working with, who you're your healthcare providers are like, I knew who my healthcare providers were prior to um, going into the hospital. Like I've been with them for over 10 years. I love how they work and I know what the rules are at the hospital. So although I was at the hospital, I was able to do um, like this last time I could have stood to, to deliver. I'm not comfortable with that for some reason, Um, but the way they have our beds uh, the beds can uh, be positioned where you're like an almost squatting position. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's how my bed was almost. Um, so I, I think it's very important for people to qu- ask questions, ask questions and ask questions like, what can I do? What can't I do? Make sure that your OB is compatible with your values and how you want your setting to be when you're delivering so that there are no surprises when you get there. But you know, in the shady area of Florida where mm-hmm. I live, <laughs> like I got to travel like two hours just to find someone compatible. So, I mean, everything you're saying is 100% true though. 100%. I think more people need to get to know their providers ahead of time because mm-hmm. what you're talking about not not enough people do oh I want to choose that doctor because my girlfriend delivered with her or I want that doctor because they have really good reviews but what's gonna happen for you with that doctor do you know that what you believe about birth and and the way that it should progress is how how they feel as well will they let you eat if that's what you desire again Mm -hmm. people don't that's not Uh a big deal to some people but you you know there's questions that you should be asking so you know, you can figure out like, okay, do we buy some, you may want to ask what their C-section rate is, what their Mm. episiotomy rate is, you know, things like that and, and see, or, or how long do I have after my guest date? I don't like to call it a due Mm -hmm. date until you're going to start talking to me about an induction. Like what is, I want to know now. Mm-hmm. I don't want to know at week 38 when mm-hmm. I feel like trapped and, and like, I don't want to switch providers. I want to know now, mm-hmm. like, what are you going to be talking about? And so 
if, if they get nervous mm-hmm. about, well, I feel like you're, you're question, I am questioning you. Can you answer it? Like mm. you need to make sure that they are, that it's a dialogue and that they understand that like you're choosing them and, and they work for you. And so they need to be on board with whatever you have going on. <laughs> that is true. That is true. So let's, let's talk about the vulva. Uh, the vulva is a very, you know, we're just talking about female anatomy now. So we're, we're taking a little break from, from pregnancy. Let's talk about some anatomy. So let's talk about the vulva. What is the vulva? Cause some people may not know what exactly that part is and what are the steps of performing a vulva exam and why is that so important? Yes. So the vulva and vagina, a lot of people don't know the difference between those. So your vagina is a muscular canal, right? So it's going to connect like your outside world to your cervix and your uterus. And your vulva is all of your external genitalia, everything that you can see when you prop a mirror down there, Mm -hmm. your outer lips, your inner Mm -hmm. lips, your urethra, your clitoris, your clitoral head, the vaginal opening can Mm -hmm. be seen there. Um, your perineum, your anus, et cetera. So a lot of people will call their vulva their, oh, it's my vagina. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do a little. So I I've put it on there a couple of times on my Instagram and it's on my blog too, just a photo of the vulva. And I go, you can see the entrance of the vagina, but it's, you know, so Mm -hmm. people can kind of get, and I understand it's all, I think media plays a part in that too. Cause I think I probably, Mm -hmm. when I was younger, heard a bunch on TV and it was not called the correct thing. Um, so we can blame some of that for that, but yeah, just like we always promote for people to do breast Mm -hmm. exams, you should be doing vulva exams on yourself. Right. And what's good about it is that when you do it often, you know, what's normal for you. So you'll kind of get a feel of if something's different because you've been, you've started to do it regularly. And so it's important to just get comfortable. You just need a mirror. You may want to glance at a little diagram ahead of time. Like I said, just because it's important to learn what the different structures are and not to compare Mm -hmm. yourself to any picture or diagram because your vulva is like a thumbprint or a fingerprint. Um, It's different for everybody, but it's more so so you can familiarize with what the structures are, not to be comparing yourself to anything that you see. And so what you're going to look for is a couple of things. So you will look at sensation, you'll think about and, and, and sensation. So is there any tingling? Is there any itching, burning? Is there any sensations coming from there throughout your day or whatever the case may be, pain, um, anything new, right? That's something that you'd want to note. Odor. So mm-hmm. we are not supposed to smell like juniper berries and vanilla, ocean breeze and any, any, anything that you would see at Bath and Body Works, but just you're, it's supposed to smell like a woman's body. It is not supposed to smell like a candle. Mm-hmm. And so if it's not a pungent or foul odor that you're like, Ooh, you know what I mean? Uh, then you're fine. And so some people say, well, what if it's at the end of the day? Okay. So once you do cleanse and take a shower or whatever. If that doesn't go away, if you smelled something that was kind of foul and interesting and it it had been after a long day and then you go and you shower and you smell that again right away, then then that's how Mm. you might know, okay, this isn't what I should be smelling, if that makes sense. Um, Mm -hmm. Appearance, so you wanna check out if you have moles, bumps, rash, Mm -hmm. any open wounds or bleeding patches like skin discoloration, swelling, Again, you're gonna have a baseline because this is something that everybody's gonna do regularly now that we're talking about it. So 
anything out of the ordinary, uh, you're going to look at that and you're going to take note of that. And you might want to talk to your doctor about any changes that you might see or asymmetry side to side, um, anything that's really striking. And then color wise, is there discharge coming out that's yellow or green? So when you have a runny nose and it's clear, you're like, okay, that's fine. But when you have yellow or green, we all kind of know that something might be going on, right? So mm -hmm. uh, it's just an indication that something might be a little bit off, yellow, green, gray. Um, and then just looking at the color of your skin to see if your skin color has changed from what you're used to. Um, and again, you'll know that by checking regularly. So I want everybody to get a nice mirror, a handheld mirror and, and do that this week. That's on everybody's homework list. You're going to check that out and, and have your baseline and then go from there. I will say that this mirror thing, um, I, I don't want to say it's a stigma. I feel like the, the talk of anywhere vaginal is something that in our community, like the Black community, that is not something that is spoken of unless it's in a sexual way. Right. Right. So because of that, I feel like most people are um, afraid to grab a mirror and look at themselves because everything is sexualized when it comes to the vagina. I, I, I hope, um, I don't know, people are a little bit more open to it nowadays to check themselves out and because it's for your health. Yeah. Even, even with, I'm saying this, but I'm speaking to myself because it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not until recently that I've gotten comfortable or, or getting comfortable doing this myself so that's how I know what I'm talking about a lot of a lot of women too after they have a baby they're like oh no I may have looked down there before but I'm not looking now I'm like guys yeah. <laughs> that was me the first and couple of ones yeah. and it's understandable and you want to have grace with yourself that things are so different so it's understandable that you might be like oh my goodness and that's okay and feel your feelings and then when you're ready you know you you should look because it's good again to just kind of know what's your new normal, quote unquote, um, and and knowing if everything's okay. So, you know, I'm I'm so happy you said new normal because the I'm, my mind is so curious, you know, and I'm just like, okay, y'all had children, so there's like physiological changes, but you know, you just said it, and I'm like, okay, something else that I have to put in my um, mental <laughs> uh, stores to remember. It goes it goes back to normal looking. It's not all puffy and stretched out looking um yeah pushed out if, someone, back if someone had a tear or something like that you may see a little um which is what I mentioned that for but no it's not this like oh my gosh it's this whole Distorted. different whatever yeah initially of course swelling right mm -hmm. um but yeah uh -huh. no it, just like you said it does it does kind of return to um what it looked like before there may be some changes as well which is fine and normal and like if you had a tear or if something happened mm -hmm. and, and that'll heal up and it's okay it changes okay it's not going to look the same from when you were 15 to 35 and right, we don't like right. change we want to still fit into our jeans from high school and we're now in our <laughs> so people don't allow for like the body changes and it's okay it's a good thing like it's all right mm -hmm. you know <laughs> Exactly. And I'm so happy that you mentioned this because only thing that I can fully remember 
Um, you know, like how when we were all in elementary school and they did that, uh, that D.A.R.E. program, that drug abuse resistance education. And I remember along with that, they also did just like a general sex ed program speaking about, oh, girls have their monthly periods and potential to get pregnant, wear a condom. But you never hear in uh, rudimentary education, like this is your vagina, this is your penis, this is the structure. You know, even in high school anatomy and physiology, college anatomy and physiology, you are not taught these things because there is, as you said earlier, Joanne, there's such a stigma attached. So the fact that, you know, we don't, we need to know, we need to start tapping into the power that we have to know about mm -hmm. our organs, how they feel, um, is so important to just overall health and wellness. And the reason why I say that is because there was, um, when I was at the hospital setting, I, I came across a, a lady, she was younger than me. She was in her twenties and she had, uh, I hate to do this to you guys, but the episode has to be paused right here. If you want to find out what I was referring to, definitely tune in to next week part two of think of her as your fairy godmother i go ahead and i finish telling my story we get into more anatomy physiology and what a physio doula can do for you so see you guys next week but in the meantime remember to share this episode give us five stars and let a friend know about our podcast until next week bye everyone